All right, well, today we conclude our series summer playlist as we have been soaking in and reading in and studying these amazing prayers that Paul wrote and that Paul prayed for the churches that he had begun, that he had pastored, the people that he knew as we dive into these. And we could have made this actually like a 12-week series, but we just picked our four favorite prayers that Paul prayed for the churches that he began and for individuals that he knew. We have studied some incredible truths that God wants us to remain grateful and hungry as we looked at the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians and the prayer that he wrote as he wrote to the Ephesians that, that God wants us to remain hungry and grateful, grateful and hungry, grateful for everything that God has already done and hungry because we believe and know that there is still more that to come, still more that God wants to do and accomplish in us. Then two weeks ago, as Pastor Devin preached, we looked at the letter to the first Corinth, to, to the Corinthians, the letter in first Corinthians and the prayer that Paul prayed, where he reminded us to stay, to stay focused on the faithfulness of God, not on the faults of people. There will always be faults of people that we can look to and that we, that we can let undermine our faith or let us let undermine what God may want to do in our but we want to stay focused on the faithfulness of God and push everything else to the side so that we can remain focused on what really matters, that God is faithful. Then last week, we looked at what Paul prayed for the, the Philippian church, the, the church in the city of Philippi, that Paul prayed and reminded them that as we looked at the idea of the history of, of how Paul encountered these people, we saw the idea that God meets us at the level of our obedience. God meets us at the level of our obedience. And that was observed as we looked at what Paul experienced as God called him him to Philippi and God saw his power and, and Paul saw God's power on display everywhere he went within the city of Philippi, that God meets us at the level of our obedience. And then we looked at, at the prayer that Paul prayed and reminded us that God can be trusted from start to finish and every moment in between because God is faithful to finish in you what he starts for you. And so today we could conclude this series with the letter that Paul wrote and the, Paul, the prayer that Paul prayed for the church in Colossae. The Colossians is one of my favorite books in the Bible because of Paul's laser focus on Jesus Christ throughout this incredible letter. Like Paul is always pretty focused on Jesus, but in Colossians, he takes it to a whole different level. Like absolutely everything he writes in this letter directly ties to Christ. No sideways energy. It's all Jesus, all the time. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. Out of the 13 letters that Paul wrote, Paul had been there and met them for 11 of the 13 letters that he wrote. The exceptions were the letter to the Romans because Paul had not yet gotten to Rome when he wrote the letter to the, to the Romans. And Paul had not personally been to Colossae when he wrote the letter that we know as Colossians, which begs the question, why would Paul write this letter and what relationship does he have with this church that would even compel him to write this letter in the first place? See, the relationship question is actually really easy. While Paul hadn't been there and never met the people of Colossians, Paul knew their pastor. Their pastor was a man named Epaphras. Epaphras had become a Jesus follower during Paul's time that he spent preaching and teaching in the city of Ephesus. After Paul left, Epaphras headed home to Colossae, where a church began and formed under his leadership. Now, the better question to ask then is why Paul would write this letter to people he had never met with such laser focus on Jesus Christ. And the reason for that lies in the relationship between Paul and Epaphras. We are told early on in the letter of, of Colossians that Epaphras is currently visiting and attending to Paul while Paul is sitting in a Roman prison. And here's what we come to understand from the letter and from outside sources that we have. Epaphras didn't just come to take care of Paul. 
Epaphras came at this moment in time to confide in Paul and to seek counsel from Paul because in the church that he is pastoring and that he is leading, there has become some what we would know today as heresy. There have been these false teachers who have come in with their philosophy, with their lack of experience about Jesus, and they've become compelling and they've become convincing while teaching things about Jesus that are not and were not ever true. They have, they, have, they have gained influence. They have gained respect. They are convincing and they're compelling. And people are becoming convinced and compelled that things are true about Jesus that were never true about Jesus. Here's some of the things that they were teaching within the church at Colossae. They were teaching that Jesus was a good man, but not a God man that Jesus was not divine, that he wasn't God by nature, that he, wasn't, that, that he was a good man and he performed many miracles as a man, that he raised from the dead as a man, but he was not God come to earth. He was not the son of God come to earth. You can even hear with your own ears, you're like, well, like Christian faith, teaching and belief for 2,000 years has believed that Jesus was the son of God come to earth, sent by God to the earth. So obviously this isn't true, but in the church in Colossae, this newfound faith it was, was being you know, mixed, mixed with some, some weird philosophical teachings. Here's another one. Another one was that Jesus became God or became divine through his own good efforts, but that he wasn't born God. He wasn't sent from God, but rather he earned the status of God by his good works and his good behavior and the good things that he'd done. He became God at some point along the way of life. Um, there were also a few teachers that taught things completely contrary to what Jesus taught and justified it, it justified those things as being, well, this is what Jesus really meant. Like we know there's the things that Jesus taught, but here's what he really meant when he said those things. These are part of those parables. Here's what those parables really meant. And so they're coming in and bringing all kinds of confusion and they're speaking with clarity and they're speaking in compelling ways and they're being incredibly convincing while they're actually bringing divisive heresy into the church. And so Epaphras is pastoring this church in Colossae and he's dealing with these people that are compelling and they're, and they're convincing and they're bringing all these philosophies that don't actually line up with who Jesus was or what Jesus taught. And see, this is a big deal in a church. This is a big deal in a church. To see and view and believe Jesus correctly is of utmost importance because what we believe about Jesus defines our relationship with Jesus. What we believe about Jesus defines our relationship with Jesus. If he's not God, he doesn't carry the same authority in our world or in our lives. So just imagine they're in the church in Colossae and they're saying, well, Jesus was not God. He was a good man. It undermines the authority that he has in our world, in our lives. If they say, well, if he's not God, his miracles are simply happy coincidences. If he's not God, his power is limited. And everything he did just so happened to be the, you know, the things that he could do, but he can't do anything more. If he wasn't God from the start, well, why shouldn't I try to become God too? If we're supposed to follow the example of Jesus and he wasn't God from the start, but he became God, well, like that, why shouldn't I try to become God too? If a person can go from good to God, why not shoot for that? So Paul, he hears what's happening in the church in Colossae, and he hears what's happening from Epaphras, that his church that Epaphras loves has been consumed and divided and led away from the truth of who Jesus is. And then as it is today, it was important that they believe correctly about Jesus so they could correctly define the relationship that they would have with 
Jesus. And because Paul knows how dangerous it can be to misunderstand who and what Jesus is, Paul wrote this entire letter to clear up who Jesus is and how we should respond to him. And in Colossians chapter 1, actually after the prayer that we're going to read in a little bit, after the prayer that we're going to read, Paul unpacks, like he just unloads who Jesus is and what Jesus came to be in our world. That Jesus is divine. He is by nature God. He was sent from God because he came from God. He is God. He was God in a bod. He is the revelation of God. He is the visible image of the invisible God. The fullness of God dwelt inside the human body of Jesus Christ. He is supreme. He rules and reigns over all creation. He has the supreme place. He is supreme over all creation. He's supreme over me and you. He's supreme over our church. He's supreme over the church. He is supreme. He rules and he reigns. He is the source of creation, meaning that God created everything through him. He is the sustainer of all creation, meaning that he he holds all creation together. And he is the destination of creation, that everything was created ultimately for him. Everything was created through him. He holds everything together and everything was ultimately created to bring glory and honor to him. He is eternal. He existed before anything else. He is primary. He meaning he is first in everything. He's the first to rise from the dead. He's the first one to experience new life. He is the first in everything. He's the head of the church. The church is his body of which he is the head. He is victorious, the first to raise from the dead, and he's the reconciler with his blood. He established peace between us and God. And so in a world where it is important for you to understand who Jesus is so you can correctly have a relationship with him, Paul says, here's what you need to know about Jesus, who he is and what he came to do. He is divine. He was sent by God. He's the revelation of God that all you have to do if you ever wonder what God is like is to look at Jesus. He's supreme. He's the source and the sustainer and the destination of all creation. He is eternal, meaning he he was existed before you and he'll exist long after you. He didn't just show up on the earth and start existing. He has existed for all time, from all time, before everything else that we see and experience. He is the head of the church, which means in the church, he reigns supreme. He rules supreme. He is the chief pastor of our church, not just me. He is the supreme pastor of the local and the global church. He is victorious, and he is the one who has reconciled us, meaning that we have peace with God because of Jesus. And so if you ever wonder who Jesus is and what Jesus came to be and do, this is everything that Jesus came to be and do. If you ever wonder how to relate to Jesus, you look here. Paul wanted the Colossians to know, and Paul wants us still to know with absolute certainty who Jesus is and what Jesus is to us so that you will understand who you are in relationship to him and who you're in a relationship with, and you'll respond to him correctly. That Jesus is God. That Jesus is our revelation of God. That Jesus is, is, is supreme. He is the one of all authority. The one who has all authority. He, when he says go, when he snaps his finger, we go. When he points the way, we follow. That that's who he is because he is supreme. He is the source and the standard of, and, and destination of everything that we see, everything that we experience, everything that you have, every breath that you breathe. He began it all and he sustains it all and it will all bring glory to him. He is eternal, he's primary, he's the head of the church, he's victorious, he's the reconciler. That that's who our Savior is. He is not just a good man, he is the God-man. 
He is not just a little bit victorious, but he won victory for every single person that puts their trust in him. He is the head of the church. That in our church, I am not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of movement church. That he's the one who created peace for me and peace for you. That's who your savior is for you. That's who Jesus is for you. That's the savior who came because he wants a relationship with you and wants you to have a relationship with your heavenly father that's available through him. Paul wanted you and Paul wanted me and Paul wanted the Colossian church to know with absolute certainty and absolute clarity who Jesus is so that they could have a proper and a correct relationship with him. And so with all of that in mind, with all of Paul's clarity about who Jesus is and what Jesus came to be, with all of that in mind, knowing that to be who and what Jesus is, Paul prayed this for the Colossian Christians. Colossians chapter one, starting in verse three. He says, we always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. Now notice here what Paul is saying. Paul is grateful for their faith, even though their faith is far from perfect. Paul is grateful that their faith has a starting point, even though where they have moved towards is not necessarily the correct place. And when people come to Jesus, let me just talk about this for a little bit. When people come to Jesus, no one comes along and has everything figured out and perfectly understood right away or a week later or a month later or a year later, or let's be honest, 10 years later, or let's even be really honest, 25 years later, or if we could be even really more honest, 50 years of knowing Jesus, all you know is that you don't really know everything. Like, are you starting to, like, starting to sense a trend that we don't ever figure it all out? And so what's important here to notice is that Paul takes an approach that I would love for us to take. Paul chooses to be patient with people's progress. Choose to be patient with people's progress. Now, I had an interesting moment this week. Uh, my daughter, who just turned five, we, were, we, we had got, gone to Sam's Club, and we picked up some Sam's hot dogs and some pretzels, and we cut, brought them home, and that was going to be our lunch. And so she takes a couple bites of her hot dogs, and she, with, with a mouthful of hot dogs, she goes, Daddy, um, is, is, this, is this hot dog going to feed Jesus? And I was like, um, wait, what? Like, I mean, I, I, I was confused by her question, so I said, well, no, well, why? Like, why do, you think, why do you think the hot dog might feed Jesus? And my daughter said, well, because Jesus is in my heart. Because Jesus is in my heart. Now, this is, this is a pretty touching moment. And you want to know what I said in response to her saying that Jesus was in her heart and asking if, if because she was eating the hot dog, if Jesus was going to get some of the hot dog? I said, well, that's a terrible understanding of that digestive system. The heart clearly isn't part of your digestive system. Come on, get your head out of the clouds and learn something. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that's how I answered my five-year-old daughter asking if, she, if Jesus was going to get part of the hot dog because Jesus lives in her heart? No, not even a little bit. Because while she was wrong about the heart's place in a digestive system, I was so proud that she got a really big idea right, that she knows that Jesus lives in her heart. I could overlook the little, like, I don't need to correct that in my moment. I'm so proud of what she got right. I'm happy about the progress that she, like, that she understands that Jesus lives in her heart. And she got the important part right. 
And because she got the important part right, here's what I know. We can work on gently correcting and patiently correcting everything else that comes down the road. She doesn't need to understand right now that the heart isn't part of her digestive system. That's something that she'll learn as she goes on. Now, if she gets to 25 and thinks that Jesus living in her physical heart, which by the way, isn't even really how that works, but Jesus living in her physical heart would get something because of something that she ate. Like then we need to have a different talk because apparently she's missed some things along the way. But like at the age of five, I'm like, I'm so proud that you understand that Jesus lives in your heart. That's all we need to get through. That's like, I can be patient while we figure everything else out. And Paul's approach was the exact same. He appreciated the progress they had already made, was patient with their errors, and was patient as they learned to understand Jesus better. He's like, you understand Jesus as Savior? That's good. You believe in the resurrection of Christ and his saving power? That's a great start. You've gone out of your way to love with the love of Christ? That's good. We can work on everything else and bringing you into alignment patiently as we go from this point forward. This is how people come to faith. And this is how people grow to understand Jesus and deepen their relationship with their heavenly father by someone being patient with them as they're making progress, by someone being patient with them and walking slowly with them as they're making progress. I bring this up because I think we get this wrong so often. We get this wrong far too often, too often when it comes to other people's faith and their progress and their growth to know God. We expect them to fit our timeline and to have things figured out like we have things figured out. But let me ask you a question. How long did it take you to figure it all out? If your answer is, well, I still don't think I have it all figured out. Exactly. And how did you get to the point where you are today, where you have some things figured out, but can acknowledge that you don't have everything figured out? You got there because someone was willing to walk patiently with you as you made progress. And so what I would challenge all of us to do, could we take the posture that Paul demonstrates here? And could we be patient with people's progress? Could you do for someone else what someone did for you to help you grow, to help you get your questions answered, to help you grow and deepen in your relationship and your connection and your prayer life and your Bible reading and the way you treat others? Could you lovingly and patiently walk with someone else towards someone else's progress. Now in verse six, Paul goes on. He says, this same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved coworker. He is Christ's faithful servant and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So another subtle thing here, There is good news that has gone out all over the world. There is good news that has gone out all over the world. And that good news is bearing fruit and it's changing lives everywhere. Because as we said early, correctly seeing, understanding, and relating to Jesus, it changes your life. It does. You know this. That if you're, if you're correctly seeing Jesus, if you're correctly understanding Jesus, if you're correctly relating to Jesus, it will change your life. It will change it quickly and it will change it slowly. You will change over in an instant and you will change over time. That if you correctly see who Jesus is, it has incredible power to, to change you from the inside out and from the outside in. And Paul knew, and this is why this is so important, Paul knew that, that what they were current believing currently believing it was not the good news. 
But he was about to unpack the real good news for them so that they could know the best news imaginable. He wanted them to know, what I'm about to unpack for you, it changes lives. What you believed at the start, it changes lives. What you are buying into now, though, it will leave you stuck because it's powerless to do anything for you and it's powerless to do anything in you. See, this is something that's incredibly important. This is the balancing act that we're all called to do, to be patient with people's progress while pointing them to the life-changing truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To be patient with people's progress while pointing them to the life-changing truth of the gospel. To be patient and patient and patient and gracious and gracious and gracious. And like, hey, you're not there yet, but it's okay. We're moving along the way, but still moving towards something very specific that is unchanging and unshifting and move and, and, and has the power to potentially to change lives. It says, I want to, I want to be patient, but I'm going to continuously point you to this place. I'm not going to say that everything is okay. I'm going to show you that this is the place that you belong. This is the balancing that, that we are all called to as we follow Jesus. This is what John described that he saw in Jesus in John chapter one, verse 14. Here's what he wrote. He said, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. Jesus was full on grace and full on truth all the time. Everywhere he went, everything he said, every action that he gave that treated someone else some way, it was full on grace and full on truth. And so here's what we do. We constantly dial up the grace and the patience and the allowing for faults and doubts of another because sometimes people have real faults and sometimes people have real doubts and sometimes people have real questions. And that requires all of the grace and all of the patience that Jesus has through us if people are gonna actually experience and see that through us. But we also never compromise the truth of God's word. We never dumb down the truth of God's word. We dial up the grace. We don't dumb down the truth of God. We bring both in full force all of the time. All the patience, all the grace, all of the ability to have a conversation that answers someone's questions as frustrating as they may be sometimes. And all the truth because it has all of the answers. We, we, we don't dare dial down the grace and we don't dare dumb down God's truth. We bring them both full of grace and truth. And we can and we must do both if we are going to reach a lost and dying world. If you are going to reach your lost and dying neighbors, if you are going to reach your lost and dying coworkers, if you are going to reach your lost and dying family members, I'm just telling you, there are people in your life who need full on grace and full on truth because that reflects Jesus. So we want to be patient with people's progress while pointing them to the life-changing truth of the gospel. And then Paul went on and said this. He said, so we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way that you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better 
and better. So this is a, a little, there's in here, there's a bunch of stuff that we've already talked about in the last couple weeks. Things that Paul prayed for other churches are the same things that he prays for here. Let me talk about the, the things that Paul repeats. The repeats here are he prays for spiritual wisdom and understanding. We're like, got that. We did that in Ephesians. We pray that you'd produce good fruit. Yeah, we did that in, in, in the letter to the Ephesians. And he prays that you would grow as you know. Yeah, we prayed that in Ephesians and in, and, and in, and in, uh, and in Philippians. That's great. That's a repeat of, of all that stuff. But there's one thing in there that Paul prays that he didn't pray for anyone else. He prayed that they would have a knowledge of God's will. He said, I pray that you would come to know God's will. I pray that you would come to know God's will, which means, which brings us to a really great question. Well, what is God's will? What is God's will? See, here's the thing. I believe there is a general will of God for every person that follows Jesus Christ. And there are some specific will questions. But today I want to talk about the general will of God. What is, the, what is God's will? What is God up to and what is God trying to accomplish in your life and through your life for the world around you and for the people that you have influence? What is God's will? God's will is that we would have a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission. God's will, God's hope for you and God's hope for me is that we would have a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission. The great, commit, the great commandment being love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. They also being love your neighbor as yourself. And the great commission being go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. See, reaching a lost world with the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection, leading to restore relationship with God and building the community of saints that is the body of Christ, the local and the global church. That is God's will. That's how we take the great commandment and the great commission and we establish a great commitment in our lives to those things. And if you're wondering how do we do that, here's what I think is a, like when you look at those things, I want to be committed to, to evangelism, to reaching the world that need, uh, the world that isn't, that it's away from Jesus, that doesn't know Jesus, that doesn't know that there is salvation and freedom and forgiveness from sins and freedom from sin. I want the world to know that. So I want to be committed to evangelism. I want to be committed to discipleship, that I wouldn't just reach others and, 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 and not be growing myself, but I want to be growing to know more of Jesus every single day. I want to be committed to fellowship, that I'm continuously putting myself in environments and places and rooms with other, other believers who make me better, and hopefully by them being around me, they get better as well. That iron sharpens iron as we get together with people who don't have the exact same faith, don't, 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 don't approach God in exactly the same way, but believe in the same Son of God, Savior of the world, Jesus. I want to experience fellowship with people who make me better in my relationship with Jesus. I want to be committed to worship, not just by song, but by my, by my lifestyle, and by the, time, by the chance that I get the, the, the fact that I get to gather together with other believers, and when we gather together, our worship invites the Holy Spirit to come into a, in, in, into a place and into a space and we experience him dynamically. I want to be, I want my lifestyle to be consumed with worship and I want to be committed to service. That I use my gifts and my talents within the church to build the church and outside the church to lead people to Jesus in a relationship that moves towards the, the, the community of faith. That I want to be committed to the things that fulfill God's purposes on the world, in the world. So God's, God's will, what's God's will for you? What's God's will for you? What's God's will for me? It's that we would have a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission. And then Paul prayed one more thing. He prayed one more thing, that you would know God's will. And he said, we also pray that you will be strengthened with all this glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. 
So here's what Paul prayed, five things. Paul prayed for strength for you. Paul prayed for endurance for you. Paul prayed for patience for you. And Paul prayed for joy for you. And Paul prayed for gratitude for you. And here's the amazing thing about that list. Every one of those things is something that people can have without Jesus. You're like, that's not amazing. That's actually a little depressing. Paul prayed that I would have something that I could already have. Well, here's the thing. Paul didn't pray that you would have the world's version, the without Jesus version of those things. Paul prayed that you would have strength because of power that comes from God. Paul prayed that you would have endurance because of power that comes from God. Paul prayed that you would have patience because the Spirit of God brings about patience in you. Paul prayed that you would have joy because you've experienced God's salvation. And Paul prayed that you would have gratitude because you've experienced God's salvation and you know God is at work in your life and He is your provider. Paul prayed... Paul prayed that you would not just have the world's version of strength, endurance, patience, joy, and gratitude, but that you would have the Jesus-soaked, spirit-filled, supernatural version of strength and endurance and patience and joy and gratitude. He is praying that you will have strength from Jesus, that where human strength would fail, you won't. That when the things of life come about that would break human strength, they won't break you because your strength is not just a human strength. Your strength is a supernatural strength that comes from Jesus. And so when the things of life come at you that would break the people around you that don't know Jesus, they will not and would not break you. He's praying that we'll have endurance from Jesus. That in the long race stretches of life, you won't tire and you won't falter. See, some of life is not a sprint. A lot of life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And Paul wants to give you Jesus-level endurance, that Jesus, for the years that he was on the earth, for 33 years and for three and a half years of ministry, that was not a sprint. That was a marathon. Moving toward the cross, all the miracles, showing and displaying to the world what God was like through his life and through his words and through his actions was not a sprint. It was a marathon. And through the moments of your life that are a marathon and not a sprint, Jesus wants you to have the endurance to run the race well and that your legs won't falter and your mind won't falter and your devotion to him won't falter because you have a Jesus level supernatural endurance. He's praying that you'll have patience that comes from Jesus, that you'll have a patience that lasts when even the most patient of humans would fall. He's praying that you'll have joy from Jesus, joy that isn't dependent on a circumstance or a surrounding, but comes from the author of life and the source of real and lasting joy. Did you know that's available to you? A joy that moves beyond the circumstances and the surroundings of life. That doesn't need to be surrounded by a million people to experience the joy of a moment because Jesus is the source of our real, of our real and our lasting joy. And he's praying that you will be filled with gratitude, always thanking God because no matter what life looks like, there is something to be grateful for and someone to be grateful to. Paul prayed, that you would have strength that comes from Jesus, endurance that comes from Jesus, patience that comes from Jesus, joy that comes from Jesus, and gratitude that comes from Jesus. So here's the thing. As we close out this series, Summer Playlist, every week I've been saying, here's, here's your playlist. And what if you paid attention to these tracks? What if in your life you were patient with people's progress? What if you decided to adopt a posture that said, I'm going to be patient with people's progress as they believe in Jesus. I'm going to be patient and full of grace. 
And as I'm patient and full of grace, I'm not going to be compromising the truth. I'm going to continuously point in a loving way to the truth of God's word and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because I know it has the power to save. It has the power to change. It has the power to free. It has the power to forgive. And it has the power to save. So I'm never going to compromise this while I'm being incredibly patient to try to move people towards that. And what if in that, we allow this to be the foundation of that, that we choose strength and we choose endurance and we choose patience and we choose joy and we choose gratitude and we choose to allow Jesus to work that out and to build that in us every single day. For some of you, are like, I feel like Jesus has brought some strength, but I don't know that he's brought a whole lot of patience. Still, I, I, that's an area for you to begin to pray today. God, would you bring and establish a Jesus-level supernatural patience in my life that I will exude patience to the world around me? And when, when, hum, when my normal and my natural human-level patience gives up, help me to rely on the patience that you have put in me. Some of you would say, like, I've, I've got endurance. Like, I'm, I'm willing to endure just about anything. I feel like Jesus has brought that about in me. Like, I can suffer for Jesus. I can endure anything for Jesus. But, man, sometimes I forget that there's supposed to be joy in life. And it's time to ask God that, like, hey, God, I know you've established endurance and a willingness to suffer and a willingness to be persecuted, like willingness to go through all kinds of stuff. But God, I've lost my joy. And God, would you fill me with a joy that comes from you because you are the source of life? Will you help me? Would you help fill me with a joy that looks beyond the circumstance of life and experiences the joy that you have for me? See, these are, this is the tracks for your summer playlist. This is your tracks for this week, that you would experience everything that God has for you, that you would, experience, that you would adopt the posture of patience with people's progress, that you would adopt a posture that says, while I'm patient with people's progress, I'm going to continuously be pointing to the, to the truth of God's word and the, and the truth of the gospel, and I'm going to let God bring in me strength. Track three. And I'm going to let God bring in me endurance. Track four. And I'm going to let God bring some, some patience in me. Track five. I don't, like, I don't know if I really want to pray that prayer, but I'm willing to let God do what God wants to do. I'm going to choose track six where God establishes a joy in my life that isn't based on the circumstances and surroundings of my life, but it's based on who he is and what he's done for me and what he's put in me. And I'm going to choose to track seven where I'm going to experience gratitude for everything that God's done and everything that God is as he's the provider of everything I have. That's the playlist for this week. And that's a playlist I hope you'll adopt and I hope you'll practice this week. And as you do, I believe that what's true is what Paul said, that as you focus on Jesus, as you see Jesus clearly, as you experience what Jesus has for you, it will change your life. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for who you are to us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your strength. Thank you for everything that you want to build in us. God, I pray for us that when it comes to leading people to you, God, may we be patient with people's progress. And God, may we never forget what we're helping them progress, progress towards, that we're helping to move them toward your truth and your word and your life-saving and your soul-saving power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And so God, as we attempt to do that, would you fill us with everything that Paul prayed for us? Would you fill us with strength? Would you fill us with endurance? Would you fill us with patience? Would you fill us with joy? And would you fill us with gratitude? Because God, we want to know you. We want to experience everything that you have for us. We want to be filled with supernaturally with what you want us to live out and what you want us to practice and who you want us to be. So God, have your way in us. Move what you want to move in us. Grow what you want to grow in us because we want to be the people that you want us to be. We love you and we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.